Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Re- Mexican restaurant. Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Mama Crack on Blog Talk Radio. Thanks for joining us today. You can also find us on the internet at mamacrack.typepad.com. We're a group of progressive parents who are working to get Democrats into office. Joining us today is a huge honor. I am welcoming Mr. Rick Noriega, who is running for U.S. Senate out of Texas. Uh, he has a wonderful background uh, of public service and military service. He served with the Army and also the National Guard. And uh, he's going to join us today and talk a little bit about uh, how Democrats do actually serve military families. Also joining us to talk about the same thing, Stephanie Heimel Nelson from Virginia. She's with Blue Star Families for Obama. Uh, she has a big family history with the military. She's got her brother in the Ohio National Guard, and her husband just retired from the Navy. Also, we have Vivian Greentree, who is a Navy veteran and also a Navy spouse. She's working on her PhD in public administration and urban policy. Thanks for joining me today, everyone. Thanks for How are you me. doing? Well, thank you, Julie, for having me on your show. This is a great honor for me. Well, we appreciate it. Rick, what I wanted to do was just get you to talk a little bit about you have had some really interesting uh, policies to help serve not just the citizens, but also to help people who are actually military families. You've had some really good initiatives. Could you talk a little bit about that for a second? Sure. Uh, My at the state level, my 10 years in the uh, Texas legislature, we've uh, advanced a lot of initiatives to help families and service members of not just Texas military forces, but also, uh, you know, active duty components, too. Uh, this last session, we uh, passed legislation that uh, uh, set up a 311 uh, call center, um, uh, kind of a... Um, uh, one-stop shop for all uh, services relating to veterans in Texas, uh, uh, kind of a clearinghouse, if you will. We also uh, passed legislation to uh, make it mandatory that the uh, that the Adjutant General from the state uh, implement a program for uh, for uh, depleted uranium exposure for returning. Uh, men and women of the uh, Texas military forces. Uh, we worked to, uh, through our career, whether it's free hunting and fishing license, tuition assistance uh, for guard personnel. In Texas, we also have what's called the Hazelwood Act, which is a parallel to uh, the uh, U.S. Army or to the military GI Bill, federal GI Bill. And so we uh, this last session, we're able to expand our Hazelwood to include the uh, spouses of uh, and children of fallen uh, Texas soldiers. Uh, in addition, uh, when we were having some real tough uh, budgetary problems and and were changing our uh, our tax code in Texas, 
uh, I initiated an amendment to to small businesses and businesses across the state that they would get a tax break for um, for uh, retraining people that had to, to had to replace uh, deployed uh, employees. And so we've consistently tried to work uh, to uh, make sure that our uh, that our military families are taken care of both uh, before they're deployed and and when they return. One of the things that uh, I enjoyed uh, uh, passing a couple of sessions ago was a uh, a bill that allowed for uh, civil servants uh, across the state of Texas, firefighters, police, and others, to be able to donate vacation time toward uh, their fellow firefighters or policemen's uh, uh, deployment time. So if, if if some of our soldiers were receiving a cut in pay, for instance, uh, from the time they were a firefighter or a police officer uh, versus when they're deployed, um, their fellow uh, colleagues could donate days of vacation, so that uh, so that deployed person could could still receive uh, a day's wage, uh, you know, rather than just taking leave without pay. They could get uh, paid leave time, in addition to uh, obviously their their military time. So, you know, we've tried to walk the talk when it comes to uh, taking care of our our men and women in uniform. That brings up an interesting question. Um, you mentioned, obviously, several really important initiatives, um, protecting the mental and physical health of our deployed uh, military personnel and also um, returning veterans. But I think another component, and this is something that Stephanie brought up when we were preparing our talking points today, and that is that some of the most economically hit hard people in the United States are actually military uh, active military personnel and their families. Um, they have one of the highest rates of foreclosure. And mentioning uh, those pay cuts and people donating vacation time so that they don't have to take such a loss in salary and so forth. Um, what are some things, uh, Rick, that you think that we can do um, that you would maybe work on uh, once elected? And I'm speaking optimistically because, boy, your poll numbers this weekend have really been looking uh, very positive. Um, what are some things we can do to help protect some of our military personnel economically? Well, uh, a, a few things. Uh, first and foremost, I think that we've got to um, adequately fund uh, veterans' benefits uh, uh, that, we don't, in my opinion, we don't always do. We have seen an increase in funding for a variety of things, but I don't think it's it's not where we're going to need to be given the next wave of, uh, of returning veterans and their need for mental health services, their, their need for a variety of things. And so I think that uh, one of the things that we can do is I think we really need a house cleaning at the higher levels of uh, the Veterans Administration to restore confidence that we've got an agency that truly is uh, going to take care of our veterans. I think we've the other thing that really must be done is we've got to uh, have a more transparent uh, transition from uh, the Department of Defense when somebody is comes off mobilization or somebody uh, leaves uh, the armed forces, and when they're picked up by the VA, is often they're 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 siloed right now, and there's no uh, smooth transition when somebody comes off active duty, and say for instance they have a disability. Then they get into the VA system, 
and it takes a long time before decision or determination is made on their uh, level of disability, and that can be eight or nine months, uh, if not longer sometimes. And in the meantime, what happens is we have, we have uh, veterans that are falling through the cracks, and we, we encounter people with, uh, you know, uh, family problems, uh, you know, drinking problems, drug issues, a whole lot of things like that that uh, we've, got to, we've got to fix that, that transition for our veterans. Um, and then, uh, too, I think that uh, th there, are, there are physical locations in the state of Texas that need more attention in terms of uh, having uh, uh, VA benefits uh, are, uh, awarded. Uh, the people of South Texas, throughout all of South Texas, uh, have to drive uh, all the way to San Antonio or El Paso sometimes uh, to receive benefits. We're, we're, having, we're seeing this crisis really in West Texas all over the state. And so um, having the, the resources to make sure that uh, our facilities are, are fully, uh, fully manned and uh, uh, that we're providing services. Corpus Christi is a good example. The Naval Air Station in Corpus Christi they have a, uh, uh, there was an existing hospital about uh, three floors of that, or two floors of that four-story building is merely used for storage when it has all the infrastructure to, uh, to take care of our veterans. Um, so, I mean, those are some things I want to make sure and work on uh, when I get to the United States Senate, God willing, uh, is to make sure that we have the facilities and we have the resources uh, to take care of our families. I've, I've witnessed firsthand with uh, our own family readiness group and the battalion that I just uh, came off of command of how important it is to have the support systems uh, for our families. It's very, very difficult um, what we're putting uh, these families through. Interesting point. And I, and I think that's something I've heard several other people echo, which is the need to, like you just addressed, create a better reentry and transition for returning vets and people who are being transitioned out of active service. And then also that reentry and transition support for their families because, I, you know, I grew up an Army brat. My dad was, um, you know, Army and then, and then Reserves. Um, and, and I don't recall too, too much of it because, it, you know, it was some time back. But I do also know from my mother's story that um, she had so, so many responsibilities as an officer's wife that so much of her life was taken up with many of her obligations to the military, even though she was not actually enlisted. I'm going to ask um, Stephanie and Vivian if you could weigh in on that point just for a couple of minutes. And then, Rick, I'm going to ask you to come back in um, and talk about, you know, some ways to address that. Uh, Stephanie, do you mind going first and telling a little bit about uh, some of the situations with the support the families need on the side as well? Well, um, especially in the, you know, I feel like I have to be the advocate for the National Guards here um, because my brother is in the National Guard in Ohio. And it's an interesting situation with the National Guard because we've got such large numbers deployed now in a way we haven't seen before. And we have to remember, too, that they don't have a military support system around them. People who are active duty, um, they tend to live on or near bases. They have um, friends and, and um, almost a, sort of a pseudo-family among their units, among um, the spouses of the military members who are deployed. 
but when you're talking about National Guard, you don't have that support system. A lot of times they're not familiar with even just the terms that the military uses, and we all know they're very fond of acronyms. <laughs> so even just that can be puzzling and over, extremely overwhelming at a very stressful time for family members. And so I think we need to see a little bit more on the, you know, let's get ready side, and we need to sort, see more contact while people are deployed. Um, I know while my brother is deployed, I'm, I'm off, listed as a contact for him with his um, readiness group in Ohio, and I think I've heard from them maybe once in the entire nine months that he's been deployed so far. So if this is a sign of the sort of support that people are getting, I think it's a, it's a very bad sign. Um, now that's, you know, I shouldn't judge too much because I haven't tried calling them and asking questions. You know, is there anything going on in the area? Where can I go? What can I do? But I'd like to see that information put out there instead of have, making people go look for it. Because honestly, some people just, they don't know that it exists and they're not going to go looking for it. We need to get out ahead there and let them know we have the support for you. We have these people that you can talk to. These are the programs that are going on. Please use them and call us if you have any questions. And we're just not seeing that, unfortunately. Well, it, it is very, I mean, you hit, you hit the nail on the head, and I'll, I'll give you from, from uh, bird's eye view. Uh, number one is that when we um, reorganized uh, our military forces and so much of the responsibility for for critical components of our military were placed in the Guard and Reserve. The intent was that uh, when we went in that direction was so that when we did commit our Guard and Reserve, I mean, that we were all in this together. That was the idea. The idea was not that we'd be seeing what we're seeing today, which was multiple deployments, et cetera, et cetera, uh, that we were, were currently uh, faced with by or been put in that situation by this administration and, and, and my incumbent who has supported it 95 percent of the time and you're right when you know Melissa and I, I'll give you an example uh, during my deployment uh, we dropped all of our health care with all of our employers because we thought well of course naturally uh, the military will take care of us and our family we'll come to find out when my youngest son broke his arm uh, or Melissa had a staph infection in Houston, Texas, we could not find anyone who accepted TRICARE, uh, at the insurance from the from the military component. Uh, we eventually had to work that out, but you know, somebody out in Big Spring, Texas, or wherever they might live, uh, if you're a member of the Guard and Reserves, are faced with these kinds of challenges, especially if you're, you know, newlywed and you have all these questions, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I'll tell you that the Guard and Reserves and the unit that I just, they're, they're getting better of trying to circle the wagons to, to uh, have these active family support readiness uh, uh, groups. And, we, you know, and the wives and, and the spouses uh, go through certification processes for uh, that uh, chain of communication among families. But it's still very difficult. When Melissa tried to put uh, a luncheon together, in Austin, for uh, a lot of the soldiers that I was uh, uh, that were under my command, the difficulty was that you know uh, I don't have a babysitter. Uh, I, I can't you know there are a whole lot of other challenges involved than somebody who's living on post uh, in, a, in an active duty uh, environment, uh, and and that and. And you have people that are members of the Guard and Reserve that are spread across the state of Texas, um, other than uh, you know email 
chains and all these these kind of you know technological resources it's tough it is very very difficult we were fortunate enough that i had my parents and my in-laws we have support system a lot of family that helped uh you know melissa uh, while i was away so that she could still be involved in everything and read to our kid when he went to sleep at night and uh so that i didn't have to worry that my family was not being taken care of I could concentrate on what was in front of me so I could get home safely. Um, mm-hmm. And that's an important that's that's an important thing that you know that your family is being taken care of. And healthcare, interestingly, is uh, one of the topics that I know Stephanie and Vivian weighed in and said, you know, healthcare and economy are two of the biggest problems, uh, things that military families worry about. You know, which corresponds to what the general population of the United States is. But they're worrying about it from a different angle. Now, what of the different, there's so much talk about solution for health care and access to health care and quality health care insurance and preventive care and so forth. Do any of the proposals on the table provide any relief to military personnel? And I'll ask Rick um, to weigh in on that. Well, uh, yes. The, um, what was being proposed by uh, Senator Obama is going to help uh, transform our, our healthcare industry because right now it is driven uh, by uh, uh, profit motives of, of uh, uh, you know, these HMOs and insurance companies. And, uh, and what's happened is more and more people uh, do not ha- have uh, healthcare. Uh, the burden then becomes greater for those that do. Uh, they're having to pay for it in their premiums and uh, at the local level and taxes, at, you know, with your county health facilities, et cetera. And so uh, the, the, the transformation that has to happen is that you've got to open it up. You have uh, greater access uh, and, and have more people in, uh, regardless of health, to uh, share that burden of, of cost. If you don't, then... Again, we're, we're still stuck in that in the same old paradigm. A fewer and fewer are having it, and, and the costs continuing to rise. Uh, and, and that's just a it's just a fundamental uh, sea change that has to happen. You know what's being offered by uh, Senator McCain uh, to dismantle employer-based health insurance and try to drive people to private providers and deregulate that industry too um, will be a disaster. Um, it will mean that you know insurance companies will uh, will be able to cherry pick uh, folks, and if you do have a pre-existing condition, you could probably pretty much uh, kiss uh, off having health care unless you pay an exorbitant price, which means that that person will then be relegated to some county facility, and then everybody has to pick up the burden through their county taxes, but. Uh, so this has really got to, this is an enormous issue. It's got to change, and, and, and having more people in the system allows for uh, lowering of cost, uh, and, and as well uh, having entities negotiate with some of these HMOs to, to make them get their prices down. Yeah, I and and I know that there's a little bit of that deregulation already going on in the state of Texas. Um, it was a culture shock. Uh, when I moved back here four years ago from Massachusetts, where um, 
as everybody says, it's the Republic of Cambridge, the socialist state. Um, but we did have actually a very consumer-friendly state. It very much was oriented to protect the citizens. There was absolutely no health care I ever needed while living in the state of Massachusetts that wasn't covered. When I moved back to Texas, the first thing I had to do was figure out what I was going to do because I was pregnant, and that was, for fun, completely excluded by my husband's health care plan at his employer. Um, so it ends up being cheaper for me to continue to pay for COBRA for a full year out of Massachusetts than to sign up for insurance in the state of Texas. So I, I see, you know, I, I can um, personally relate to a lot of what you say with, with those points about people being excluded and there being less coverage for more cost. It, it was definitely a price point. I want to um, ask this. Um, it sounds like we're getting a little interference. Is everybody still on the line? I'm still here. Vivian, are you still there? Okay, great. So, Rick, what I wanted to bring up before, um, I know we're coming close to the end of uh, your time with us, but what I wanted to bring up was an interesting point, which is there's such a bad stereotype about the Democratic Party and their support of the military. Um, in so many cases, there's just this assumption that the actual best party for military personnel, the patriotic party, you know, is, you know, the Republican Party. I don't see that in practice um, or in practicality. I see a lot of support from the Democratic Party. But why do you think that, you know, rumor, so to speak, persists? Well, I think that myth of uh, that the Republicans were better on national security has now been debunked uh, in, in a huge way. Uh, obviously, with the uh, over the course of this last eight years, this last six years, uh, they have so messed up uh, and and uh, really, according to General Powell, I mean, uh, depleted our capability uh, in, in large part and have made areas of the world more unstable, uh, areas like uh, uh, the Middle East, for instance, by the unilateral invasion of Iraq, and now, you know, puts uh, Israel in more jeopardy. Excuse me real quick. Hi, Edmund. How you doing? Thank you so much. Thank you very much. I'm meeting some voters out here. I apologize. Uh, and so uh, I think that, you know, whether it's uh, being uh, fiscally responsible, now we're the largest Better nation in the history of the free world of any nation, or it's our uh, our uh, uh, stubbornness and hubris that was used as a as a as a foreign policy uh, has so dismantled uh, people's trust and faith in what were supposed to be two of the the real pillars of the Republican Party, which were national security and and fiscally conservative and fiscally responsible, uh, and so. Um, what, what we do see is that we are having less and less veterans in uh, the Congress and the United States Senate. And I think that is uh, that's not a good thing. Uh, my opponent uh, took two deferments uh, during Vietnam. Uh, and I think we see a pattern where uh, we have these elected leaders that uh, act uh, real freely uh, with uh, the lives of our sons and daughters, uh, not understanding the, the the severity of their decision making, uh, and so I think people have had enough of that too, and they're ready for people to serve that have walked the talk. I think that makes sense. 
what do you think the most important thing? Um, you, you've come out um, with a lot of really good information lately. Um, there's just a few, you know, couple of weeks left until, you know, the election date. What is the most important thing you and other Democratic candidates should be doing right now to let military personnel and their friends and family, people who may be voting with in mind who's going to best support my loved one, what should you and other Democratic candidates be talking about to tell those people we are here for you? I think that, um, you know, I have, uh, as part of the ethos that I've been, I've lived with for 27 years is uh, leave no fallen comrade behind, never accept defeat, never quit. And, uh, you know, that, that uh, you know, the mission is your priority. And that, and that is that uh, we've got to put this country back on the right course. And, and as it applies to our, our uh, military personnel, uh, I think that uh, uh, someone that uh, has had, for, in my, from my perspective, someone that has, uh, you know, been in the, the foxhole, so to speak, that's got your back, that's been there for military families in the past, uh, there is a record of, of um, standing up for them. And um, I think that uh, that's critical. And, uh, you know, I just, uh, you know, think that this country and this state has, has entrusted me with the lives of their sons and daughters in, in dangerous places and not dangerous places. And so, you know, I'm asking the voters to trust me with their vote uh, to send me to Washington, that I'll stand up and continue to fight for them and their families, putting them their priorities first and not the priorities of these, you know, Washington lobbyists or, or New York financiers. Wonderful. I, I agree. Um, I do want to take a minute to mention that there is at the Daily Coast a big fundraising initiative for you this weekend. Um, so oh, okay. if anyone if anyone would like to contribute, you can go to the Daily Coast and get some information there. You can also go to uh, Rick Noriega for Texas, uh, for Texas uh, which is ricknoriega.com, uh, and you can donate there. Uh, you can also get more information. And at this point, um, we're coming to the end of our time with Mr. Noriega. If, uh, I'm going to open it up, Stephanie and Vivian, if there's anything you'd like to ask him before we get to the end. Uh, Vivian, do you, we didn't get to you a minute ago. Is there something you wanted to add in or a question you wanted to ask? Um, I just wanted to say I really enjoyed um, listening to him and, and the issues that he brought up. And um, I, I made a note that I wanted to agree on the um, the educational aspect that he he mentioned. So thank you for spending time with us. Well, it's yes, an honor. I, I appreciate it, and I hope you'll have me back on when we win this race for the United States Senate. I can't wait for it, and I'd love to have you and Melissa both. She uh, she does so much for our city here as well. So we really oh, appreciate it, and thank you so much. All appreciate right, you have a great afternoon. Y'all too. Thank you. Likewise. Have a nice afternoon. Thank you. Thank you, and goodbye. Have a great afternoon. Okay, so we're Vivian and Stephanie. What what I want to spend the rest of the time um, we have, uh, you know, about a half an hour left here. I I would like to talk a little bit um, about some of the things. The two of you sent some really interesting points 
Um, top concerns, uh, things that military families are most concerned about. Uh, Stephanie, you, you talked about, um, you know, the economy and healthcare and different things like that. I, I, I wanted you to, to weigh in. What do you think is, is the biggest holdup for some military personnel and their families, um, you know, moving over to vote for Democrats? Vivian, I'm going to open it up to you first, if you don't mind. What do you think is the biggest obstacle to overcome? Oh, um, I guess it would just be the traditional, um, you know, theory that Republicans, you know, uh, Republicans, the military benefits from Republicans, and it's um, it's cut in the time of Democrats. And if you, um, you know, that's usually the first thing I hear when someone, you know, when I when I say that I'm that I'm supporting Obama is that you know don't I want my husband to have a job. So and then I tell him, you know, well, I'm I'm certain he's going to have a job for the next year or two, in the very least. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No kidding. <laughs> it's going to take a while to unwind. Yeah. If anything, uh, job stability is, is is right now. But that's that's probably the um, you know just coming from the historical thing. It's it's very deeply ingrained, and it's something that. Um, you know, the only way to combat it is to really write, you know, with these um, policy pieces we've been putting out from Blue Star Families for Obama, is just comparing and contrasting the different um, the different bills. And what, what do you mean by truly support? You know, if it's put a put a yellow ribbon on your car, you know, they've, they've got that in spades. But if it's maybe voting for troop safety equipment or voting for veterans' benefits, um, frontlining mental health care, things of that, you know, that, that don't necessarily can be condensed into 30-second spots, then it, then it becomes more apparent. And that's, that's basically what we're doing, one, one person at a time. That makes sense. Um, you had also, when we were um, preparing for this show, you'd made an interesting point. Um, one of one of the motivators, there there were two things that, that brought this show to mind that gave me the idea for it. Um, three things, really. Um, all of your work and all the information I hear through Stephanie about what the Blue Star Families for Obama are working on and, and all the wonderful programs and things that you're doing, um, including your radio spot, which everyone can go and take a look at. Um, I know at mamacrats.com there's a link to it. Um, it's a wonderful advertisement with a, a number of military wives giving their endorsement. But um, another big thing that came, another big endorsement, um, obviously we've got Wesley Clark and Colin Powell giving their endorsement to Obama, and that's, that's really huge. Um, I, I, didn't, uh, I didn't check, but it doesn't seem like we've had too, too many, you know, very powerful leader, you know, military leaders endorsing Democrats. Um, you made an interesting point about that, and it was not just what is being said with regard to endorsement, but what isn't being said. And, and can you tell me, elaborate a little bit about the importance of not just what is being said, but what isn't? Um, well, you know, in Virginia, then that's where I base most of my, uh, you know, where I am, it's um it's in what's you know there's not as many there's there's not as many bumper stickers and yard signs as there was in 2004 with um with regard to the Bush and McCain things and also just the the people aren't out there um energized and excited by by the party it's kind of like you know they're just 
they're Republicans. Okay. They think they need to vote for, yeah, they just kind of need to toe the party line because, I mean, otherwise you're voting for a Democrat. So it's really having to, to get around that. But I think, especially here in Virginia, when Jim Webb won, it opened the door. And it, it was kind of like, a you know, that is a strong military um, presence and a street cred, if you will. And um, and he's also a Democrat. And I think that kind of maybe began, began the shift. Um, and it certainly here maybe changed a few things uh, for some people to kind of notice. What Democrats could could do and, and would be there for personnel. Yeah, I mean, so, the first thing that he did was, uh, you know, champion the new GI Bill. And you can't imagine what he fought against to get it. And, you know, one of the people who fought against it was Senator McCain. And then, and then to not vote at all on it or to say that it was too expensive, I mean, that that's like Senator Webb said. Or to now try to take credit for it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Even more so, but that is the cost of war. Um, you know, that's how the greatest generation became the greatest generation. That to say that it's too expensive, you know, what when you're paying that much for a war, it's it's a, it's it's a little bit offensive. I have to tell you. Yeah, you especially since so many people. Right. You can't send people. And that's what a lot of people are looking for. They they need the equipment, and then they also, um, as as Rick was mentioning, they need that they need that um, support when they get back. And I think that's a big motivator for people is the on the job training and the educational benefits um, of joining the military. I, now, yeah, Julie, I think it's a. It's, yeah, Julie, it's yeah, Stephanie here. The, um, yeah, the GI Bill actually is the single best recruiting tool that the military has. So I think in, in some ways it was being very short-sighted of the, the, the Bush administration and McCain because their stated concern with the new GI Bill was that it would encourage people to leave the military to go to college, <laughs> which seems a little which, bit ludicrous. But, yeah. Um, it's, but considering it's that it's the single best recruiting tool that the military has, I think they were being a little short-sighted in using that reason to fight against it. Well, Stephanie, what do you think the biggest I, – I mean, how is it that people continue to believe that Republicans are the biggest support for the military, despite this stance on the GI Bill, despite McCain's record, um, you know, of voting against um, particular funding that's very necessary? You know, what what do you think is, is the obstacle, or what do you think is going to be the thing that's going to finally open people's minds uh, to look at the Democratic Party? Well, okay, there's a lot of questions there. <laughs> there I think yeah, there are there's many a lot. different reasons why there's this perception that um, Republicans are aligned with the military. And Vivian had once made a really good point about it going back to the Vietnam era, and I'll let her talk about that because um, I think her theory was absolutely brilliant and right on. Um, but, you know, de dealing with the here and now, I think like what happened with the GI Bill actually opened up some Republican eyes. And endorsements by Wesley Clark and, and particularly Colin Powell have made others look and say, wow, you know, they think that he has the personality and the ability to be the commander-in-chief, so we need to rethink this. But there still are some problems. That, like Vivian said, the one thing that I hear the most is Democrats are going to cut military spending. But what you have to realize here is that when we get out of Iraq – that's automatically going to cut our military spending dramatically. 
So right now what we're hearing is some comments that came from Barney Frank, I think yesterday, to a Florida newspaper about how he'd like to see military spending cut by 25%. Well, you got to take that in context. If we're getting out of Iraq, automatically we're going to have a 25% cut. It will be more than 25% if we're out of Iraq and not spending an insane amount of money daily to fight this unnecessary war. Um, but he's not talking about not funding the veterans or um, cutting salaries or cutting health care benefits. And I think that's what people don't necessarily see. They don't look past the soundbite. They don't necessarily do the research and think, what are they, what, what exactly do they mean by that comment? And in some ways, Democrats are responsible because we have to explain what we're saying. We can't assume that people know that we're all patriots and we all support military funding and, and support taking care of our people. We need to explain it a little bit better. So maybe it's a bit of a PR game there as well. But I'd like a little Vivian bit of, to talk about her theory about how the the whole alignment of the Republican Party and the, the military started, because I think it's just brilliant. <laughs> Let's hear it, Vivian. I was going to say I'd love to take credit for that, but I, it's, it's gotten through uh, reading and, and hearing other people's. But I, I definitely see um, where a lot of the GOP military alignment took place after Vietnam when the Democratic Party – you know, was seen to be anti-war, if if not anti-military. Um, and then with Reagan and the arms race, it just seemed, um, you know, natural. He, he built up, you know, funding, and then um, inevitably they then people talk about Clinton and how he cut the military budget. Um, and so that's where where I think a lot of it comes. And and people honestly, you know, I think a lot of people are just intellectually lazy and they don't they don't look past. Um, you know, the sound bites, because it, it was, you know, General Eisenhower, President Eisenhower, who warned us against the military-industrial complex. And you wonder what, you know, he would be thinking about today and, and what we have going on with the contractors, um, you know, making money hand over fist and, and not actually having a, a declared war, but we're still, you know, we're in occupation in Iraq. Um, you know, so it's it takes a little bit of, of digging and critical analysis that I think just, this doesn't happen. I would, you know, I wish it would. I like shows like this. <laughs> well, I think it's important to think things through, and and I think you're right. I think a lot of people say, you have busy lives, right? All of us are busy. Um, we're we're all dealing with families, um, so it's hard to take the time to sit down and read through things. And and I remember looking at someone and saying oh, there's a particular candidate in Texas, and I will not name him because I don't think he deserves any publicity, um, but he's running for office in my district, and I, I think he is um, Sarah Palin's missing twin brother. And I asked someone, Ooh. you know, I, when, yeah, when I wrote about this and I, and I, you know, put forth my opinions about this candidate, I took a little bit of heat from some people who read it and disagreed. And what was interesting is, oh, they were so angry. They were just so angry that I would support the incumbent. Um, all right, let's just use names, Nick Lanson. And, um, and they, and, you know, they just went on and on and on and on and on. And I read through it and I thought, you haven't got one good reason in all of this vitriol for voting against Nick Lanson, and you don't have one single good reason in all of this vitriol to vote for Pete Olson. 
And I continue to listen to this man, and I continue to search for the nugget of a plan or a detail or something to back up all of his sound bites. Besides, I was a naval aviator, and I'm a big pro-military guy, and I'm going to do for you. Well, what are you going to do for us? What are you going to do for people? What specifically and how are you going to achieve and accomplish it? He just hasn't got the specifics. And so whenever I go back to these people, I say, you're not actually voting for Pete Olson. You're actually voting for someone who you assume because of his military background is going to be, you know, working towards your interests. But if you go and do the research, you don't see any plans and you don't actually see any history that's going to back that up. But more than that, really, your your problem has to do with an elected official out of California. And trust me, voting the way you're going to vote is not going to help or hurt that. So I, I agree with you. People another, need to spend a little time. Go ahead. Well, and another thing now that is becoming so, um, you know, just – it's insidious is that if if you say something and you disagree, then then you're un- unpatriotic or you don't support the troops. And um, and I, I really, you know, I'm an I, I'm an ideas person. I, I like to talk about other ideas, even if I don't agree with them. At least I'm exposed to them. Um, and to you know to just shut someone down by saying they're they're not patriotic because they don't particularly agree with a a point of view that you have, which I think is increasingly happening, especially in these last few weeks with these campaigns, um, but but it's actually been happening in general since um, you know since 2001. Um, it's it's not a good place to where every person that doesn't agree with you is unpatriotic, and that's a scary place yeah. to be when you have a congresswoman on you know television saying that we need to root out the anti-Americans, or uh. you know, or a governor you know who's going to. De- candidate for VP who's saying she likes to go to pro-American um, places in the country, you know, it's because the off- Yeah, we you know, live in off- fake Virginia, so... Yeah, I was going to say, don't you two live in the rest of Virginia versus real Virginia? Yeah. yeah. We're calling it Rova. Yeah, like you're Rova in Virginia, so we're Rova now. You're Rova. Uh, well, you know, I did suggest that all of these so-called real places could just be called Texas, and it would just clarify everything for everyone right away. So, you know, that little corner. Go for half the country. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Hey, it would make you like straight on up the middle there and and take most of that. And then, you know, you'd be good. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much because you go right up to Canada, actually, and a little bit to the West. We could probably have Idaho and Wyoming, too. And (laughs) yes. Well, you know, while we've been talking about. There's one thing I wanted to bring up, Julie, and I kind of hinted at this when we were preparing for this, but, um, you know, you you see polls. It's really difficult to actually poll the military to find out what their political views are. Um, It's just a lot of them aren't even going to tell you, (laughs) so it's difficult. And every every poll that you do see is more a self-reporting poll, like the Military Times had one recently, and I know Vivian and I keep having the statistics from that thrown at us, even though even the Military Times agreed that it wasn't a um, a good uh, scientific sampling of the population. But it, there is this perception that the military um, is aligned with the Republican Party, and the polls that we're seeing always seem to back that up. But part of the problem with that is is the people that they poll. 
And uh, there was a very interesting article by uh, Jason Dempsey, who I have to I have to admit he's an infantry officer in the army, but his wife um, Laura Dempsey is a co-founder of Blue Star Families for Obama. But he has written a book um, called Our Army, Soldiers, Politics, and American Civil Military Relations. But he has an article this month in the New Republic actually talking about how military members vote, and he actually did some scientific sampling. And what they're seeing is that of the older generation, the generation that, that still was a part of Vietnam and the Cold War, like Vivian mentioned, they are very much aligned with the Republican Party. But when you start to break it down and you look just at the newer generation, if you look at our generation in the military, their voting aligns with the rest of the population of the country. They're not this isolated little Republican bloc. So now I want to ask you really, I want to ask you really quickly if I can interrupt. I'm sorry. Um, sure, go ahead. I think it, I think talking about how revealing the poll is, um, and and you know how it's maybe not quite as reflective of what people are doing as people wish it was or think it is. I was sitting at dinner the other night with someone who just uh, retired out of the military um, and, and retired out, um, you know, that doesn't make him in his 50s or 60s. It actually makes him my age. And right. yeah, he said, just retired. so yeah, I, I guess. Right. <laughs> so yeah, I, right. So, and he said, you know, it's such a relief um, now that I'm retired. Um, boy, I can come out as a Democrat now. And I thought to myself, okay, two things really occurred um, when you were talking just now and also in talking with him, and it's two factors. It's, um, it's peer pressure and it's leader pressure. Um, and I'm curious what effect the both of you think the peer pressure of thinking everybody else is, because it sounds to me from what he was saying a little bit of a don't ask, don't tell with regard to your political affiliation if you're a Democrat. Um, so what... It, what it what is. effect? Well, it's, tell me know, about I the think, peer pressure and the leader pressure. The peer pressure. Um, well, you know, the military is it's supposed to be apolitical, and it's supposed to serve you know the commander in chief, whatever party that can be, whatever party that is. Um, so military members, um, you know, the only way they can really express uh, their opinions is is through their voting and through who they donate money to. And if you look at the, um, is it the Center for Responsive Politics, um, you know, the study that they did where the, the giving to Obama was six to one by active duty military deployed. And so, um, yeah, I think there is that, you know, I certainly never said anything um, in uniform. And, you know, now that I'm out, I can. But I can see the, the don't ask, don't tell kind of makes me laugh because, yeah, you know, the TVs are on on Fox News and a lot of the um, the senior leadership maybe um, might be more conservative outwardly, but it was it General Patriots who said, you know, the military is m more liberal than you think. Uh, we're everywhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, we're What's just, your yeah, not encouraged to speak of it. <laughs> yeah, Vivian I mean, likes to joke that we have secret handshakes and everything. <laughs> yeah. <What is> <laughs> yeah, we do. Um, it's like when you want to steal third or something. But, you know, my family has a long history of service um, to this country, and my dad's side, it tends to be more conservative. My mother's side um, is very liberal, and it's it's growing up on my mother's side that incurred, you know, that made me want to join the Navy to be 
um, part of something greater than myself, you know, the idealism. And that, that same thing, you know, that has to apply. That's, that's not just me. So it's, you know, the same things that the idealism, um, the respect, you know, for freedom, equality, transparency, accountability, all of that stuff is what, what gets other people to want to serve too. So um, it really, you know, it, it's, there, you know, there's liberals in the Navy or the military in general. They're, we're there. Yeah, and for <laughs> every right, for every you know, ultra conservative thing you hear about the military. I mean, there's there's some social liberalism running under there as well. Um, I I don't know if I mentioned or not, but uh, at the beginning, but I my father was career Air Force, so I grew up in and around military bases. And I recall when we lived in Germany, it was really the first time I had an experience with being completely immersed in a military culture because if you wanted to speak English, <laughs> pretty much it was everything was happening on the base, and that's where I went to high school, and that's where I saw people. And in, I think I had more exposure to people who were in the military or military dependents when we lived in Germany than at any other time when I was growing up. And I, I can't tell you, but what I saw so much more social liberalism than I had ever seen in living off base in the places we had lived. Um, I saw more interracial marriage. I heard more openness about abortion, about equal rights, um, about all sorts of things. And I was actually floored. And this, this happened during my teenage years, so it's sort of formative to me. And it sort of taught me to never think in, in stereotypical terms about the military. And I think a lot of people just don't see that. Interesting. I think I think you're right because it does seem like the most um, vocal voices um, are, are are leaning more conservative in so many. And I think that's why Colin Powell and Wesley Clark coming out um, and and Wesley Clark being a surrogate and all of that. I, I think that's why that's really powerful. But Stephanie, I wanted to go back to a point you made earlier and see if you could talk a little bit more about this. And Vivian, feel free to weigh in. You had mentioned um, the concept that it's a PR issue. And we're talking, you know, when you sent, you, you sent a number of bullet points that were just really useful um, with regard to what the biggest issues in the military world are. And they do really closely align. Um, with civilian world issues, you know, the economic problems, foreclosures, financial hits, concern about salaries. Um, Rick mentioned um, problems with people, and, and Stephanie, you could probably um, weigh in on that as well, but, you know, people who are not active military, who are reservists or guards, who are having to leave their jobs and go and take, uh, take their duty. Um, and I know they do that honorably, but it does leave the family in a financial um, vulnerable place. You know, then there's also the health care and everything else. When Democrats are talking, they're talking generically, right? They're just talking about here's what we're going to do to help the economy and stimulate the economy and stimulate jobs um, and help with foreclosure. And here's what we're going to do help with health care. Here's what we're going to do um, to help with our senior citizens. When they're talking with those general messages, is it reaching the military personnel or is it, is it just too general? I think it is in some ways. It's reaching a certain portion of the military, those who are more towards the middle and are a little bit more open to the message. I know personally in speaking to active duty military who are going to vote for Senator Obama this time and have never voted Democratic before, it's usually the economy that's pushing them there. Um, Health care is, is a big issue, but if you're on active duty, 
if you're an active duty military member, your, your health care is normally taken care of. It's your family that's, that's more of the issue. And Vivian can talk more about that because she's had more experience with it. But um, I'm, I'm hearing from, from people it's, it's about the economics. It's about, um, you know, they're fed up with having this disparity in, in pay that isn't spoken about much. There's this sort of assumption that because there are all these benefits going go with being in the military, having a lower salary than you would in a private sector job for the same thing is just fine. But when you're also throwing in the fact that we've got multiple deployments after deployment after deployment, being separated for fam- from your family for long periods of time in a way the private sector never is, um, you know, they're getting a little bit fed up. And so it's really the economics that are pushing people over to the Democratic Party. At least I think it is. Interesting. Uh, Vivian, Vivian, what do you think? No, I would definitely echo that. Um, the economic situation might make people a little more open to hear, you know, just something or anything that could be made different. Um, the foreclosure rates are four, four times higher for military service members. And, um, you know, when we, everyone right now is feeling the housing crunch, you know, can't sell a house. Well, when you get orders, you can't say that the market's bad. You have to sell that house or you have to move or, or carry it. You know, we've had several friends that just carry their house um, because they, they couldn't sell it and, um, you know, no one's renting. And so um, the economic issues are definitely. And then another thing that is the multiple deployments and then the, the thought that if you say that there needs to be longer dwell time between deployments, um, you know, earlier when they had that discussion when the bill was proposed, it was, you know, you're trying to sabotage the military, and it's like, wait, to have longer uh, dwell time between deployments to make sure that they are, um, you know, rested and, tra- and retrained and, the wet, you know, everything's um, taken care of, that that's sabotaging, you know, the military. Um, you know, so It shows family, an ignorance. It does. I mean, we're we're people too. It's it, we're a military, and we you know we we love what we do, and you know that's why we we join up. But at the same time, you know there has to be the same contract with the government that you know that they're going to look after our best interests as well. So to have somebody you know laughingly say bomba bomba bomb Iran, you know, and let know that my husband is going to be in his care that. It, it does not make me feel warm and fuzzy. Yeah, it's not funny. Interesting. Yeah, it makes me – I want to hear words like diplomacy, uh, soft power, international relations, um, you know, peace talks. I want to hear things like that. I want to know that that it's not, you know, fin- finger on the trigger, you know, we'll go to war with anyone at any time for anything. Um, you know, I, I want to hear talks about, about diplomacy. I read something recently that sounds a little bit like what you're saying, and that is basically um, John McCain sounds like the sort of leader who put on his war paint and then never took it off. And when he talks, it sounds a little bit flippant, as if war is our first resort without understanding the cost not just I'm not talking dollars here, but the bigger cost, the cost to people in their lives or even just the cost of their life. Um, so I understand what you're saying. Stephanie, what did you want to weigh in with? Um, I can't remember. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I cut. I didn't. I'm sure it will come back to me. But, um, yeah. No, I'm well, sure we have five minutes. 
we have five minutes left, and what I wanted to do with the end of the hour was give you guys a chance to talk a little bit about Blue Star Families for Obama, in case anyone is unfamiliar with who your group is and what you do. Um, and then, um, Stephanie, if you could uh, close out with just a little plug for your ad. I just think it's fantastic, and I want everybody to get a chance to see it. So, um, Vivian, if you don't mind telling a little bit about the group and Stephanie, and, and then we'll, we'll wrap it up. Sure, sure. Um, well, Blue Star Families for Obama was a group started um, by active duty military spouses, and our our message is just um, that the you know we want to get across that the best leader, the best commander in chief, you know that we think um, in our judgment by by looking at the policy pieces, by looking at the voting records, and and trying to gauge what's going to happen in the future. Uh, we see Senator Obama as someone who has who has the vision to restore America's leadership in the world, and so we have um, we have chapters in over 24 states. We've got members abroad. Um, we we have a you know our website that Stephanie's had a big hand in um, producing. You know we generate a lot of traffic, and we we have membership pouring in. In Virginia, we have a very active um, active chapter here. And we're just, um, you know, doing what we can. None of us have the time to be doing this. Um, my husband's deployed right now, but I just think if I don't do what I can when I can right now, that I, I would be, I would be doing a disservice to to my country. I would be doing a disservice to my children. So, um, you know, that's why I'm voting for Obama. I just, I trust him to take care of our country so that I can focus taking care on, of my military family. Oh, and let me get exactly. the plug in for the website before we run out of time here. It's um, yes. Blue Star Families for Obama. It's BSF, the number four, O, dot com. That's BSF, the number four, O, dot com. And you can see our ad that we have on there. Um, we have a video, a 30-second video and a one-minute video that we had a lot of volunteer effort in producing, and we had an editor who's won Emmys and um, one who's worked for Madonna and a lot of, a lot of volunteer time went into it and just, we managed to get the entire thing done from start to finish in about 10 days. And you can see our ad on our website and we're also trying something new. We, you can actually air that ad in different markets across the country. You can do an individual buy, market buy, I think the minimum is $100. So it's actually something that's very feasible. So right now, I think the only swing state we're approved in right now is Nevada. But um, if if we get any more swing states in the next couple of days, we're really going to be um, letting everybody know so people can air that ad in their areas if they'd like to. And it's basically explaining why the Blue Star Families for Obama support Obama. And then in 30 seconds or less, can you say why you, why you support Obama and other Democratic oh. candidates? Well, I'm a lifelong Democrat, so it was a little bit of an easier decision for me. But what really pushed me over the edge, I attended a military roundtable here in Norfolk with Michelle Obama, and I listened to her talk and listen, more importantly, listen. Um, and that really did it for me. They really made the military and military families their issue. Senator Obama requested to be put it on the Veterans Affairs Committee, and he's really made an effort to find out what our problems with. They're um, they're also sure. going to create a military family advisory board to help them by, you know, actually making contact with the people who are living this every day and not necessarily hearing it in a bubble from their advisors. And that really impressed me. And also, that, yeah. um, 
the the um, the public service piece that comes in where they say everybody can serve. You know, it doesn't have to be the military. It can be teach you know the teach teach America Peace Corps, but we all have a responsibility. Um, that comes along with our rights and privileges as American citizens, but we all have a responsibility to give back whatever service um, you know you choose to do. But I, you know, I really that resonates with me, um, and I think it probably does with other military families who know what it is to volunteer for this country. Absolutely, and and I think that um, it, it's an important message across the board for everybody in the country to hear that there is something you can do. I think it not only empowers people, it starts them thinking about what can they do, and I think that builds a stronger community. Well, let me take this uh, last few seconds here to thank both of you, Vivian Greentree and Stephanie Nelson, both from Blue Star Families for Obama. Um, we also had earlier on the show Rick Noriega, who is running for U.S. Senate out of Texas. Um, and he's, he's been uh, showing very well, so we're feeling optimistic. But I wanted to thank both of you for being on the show and uh, taking the time to come in and talk about this today. Thanks oh, for no having problem. us. And you know I like to talk, Julie, so. <laughs> oh, I, I know. You know what? We share that. Anyway, thank you very much. And this has been Mamacrats on Blog Talk Radio. We're at mamacrats.com. Thank you. Thanks. There we go. And we finished exactly on time. You oh, guys have never done that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the master of the deadline. Anyway, I can't I thank you guys so much. You both did fantastic. So really good information. This was so much fun. It was absolutely what a great idea. Oh, I, you know, I enjoy it. And I hope everybody um, listening and if they take on the podcast, they can still hear this part of the recorded session, um, but we're not live streaming anymore. But I hope everybody who is listening really got some good information because I just, you don't hear or see very much about this topic out there. And no, so because, I think it's you know, for so long it's been if you say anything, you know, you're not patriotic. And it's like, you know, my patriotic doesn't know a political party. I don't know what yours does. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, you know, it was a little bit, it was, um, I, I admit to feeling a little personally hurt last Christmas when, as usual, I was packing a big box to send um, to to um, an officer and then his uh, his men and women. And I was packing up the box, and as usual, the kids and I had gone and chosen all sorts of things off of the list to put in the box. And and we were and we were shipping that over, and someone expressed not surprise but shock. Oh, I thought you were a Democrat. You sent a care package to the military, and I was so offended. I was like, yeah, I was like, like hey, that makes my jaw drop. <laughs> I know. I just said. Bleeding heart liberal. You should have said you filed down your horns just for that one day. No kidding. I was just like, of course I'm sending support to the troops. It's extremely Uh important to me to support the troops. That's why I vote Democrat. But anyway, yeah. It takes people by the way. Vivian and I have it just a tiny bit easier because we can wear our blue star service pins, which tells the God and everyone that we have someone serving overseas. Um, so we can wear our Blue Star service pins and our Obama T-shirts. <laughs> and people aren't allowed to question our patriotism. They may try, but they're not allowed to. We started that because, um, you know, uh, when Cindy McCain said, you know, it sent a cold chill down my back, and, 
you know, it's like, well, you're, you know, you know, it sends a cold chill my, down my back. I can tell you about it. So we started wearing them too. Um, and, you know, it's right. We know people are probably less inclined to call us um, what anti-American if we have the, our, our service pin on. I'm sure they are. Well, I'm going to let you ladies get on to your to your afternoon. But, again, thanks so much. It's been great. Thanks for having us, Julie. Okay. Thanks. Take care. Bye. Bye. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.